Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Driven Marketing Podcast. I'm Elena, your host, and I'm very happy to introduce my guest today, Nicole Lontek, uh, Head of Marketing at Silas, a pioneer in electronic engineering automation. Um, Nicole is a senior marketer and also a published author. She had her first book published in 2021. Nicole brings a wealth of experience in B2B marketing. She has over 12 years of international expertise. She has led marketing teams at several software companies where she brought positive ROI and long-term growth. And today, Nicole is overseeing marketing strategy at Silos. Nicole, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Elena, for the lovely introduction. It's a pleasure to be here, a pleasure to talk to you today. Awesome. Uh, Nicole, I would like to start off with a very serious question, um, and that is, what was your dream job as a child? What did you hope to become? <laughs> yeah, very good question. So, um, yeah, when I was a child, I always wanted to become a lawyer. And that is very different from what I do today. Um, I had this um, idea in mind, I wanna fight for justice and I wanna protect people. And back then, especially families, because I had the feeling that this is kind of the most important thing you could have um, in the world. Yeah, your family, your loved ones. And um, that is very dear to my heart, that topic, it still is. but. Um, then I figured out that uh, law is not what I expected. I thought that you have a very predefined set of laws and you can apply them and then everything is clear. And I figured it's not. Yeah, so you have, um, I don't know, one case. Yeah, one case and you could apply a different set of rules and you could get different results. And that was very frustrating for me. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that sounds interesting. I think in a way it kind of resembles marketing because you don't have like, um, you can apply the same uh, tactics maybe, but don't, don't get the same results if you if you don't pay attention to context. So right, Very right. And you still yeah, and you also have to have the ability to communicate and to analyze. So I think that sticks to me because that's what I do in marketing as well. Yeah, it's like communicating on a daily basis and analyzing the results. Look, it's pretty much the same after all. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Awesome. So very nice. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, Nicole, I do want to go back a little bit to Silos. Uh, you guys offer a complex solution. It's engineering, um, uh, electronics engineering automation. So you're probably addressing a niche and um, very technical audience. So can you tell us a bit more about, you know, who's your solution for and what's your value proposition? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you're right. We do have a very technical audience. Our audience is mainly electronics engineers, and um, we do focus on OEMs and also on component manufacturers. So we do have different personas there. And these people are uh, very rare nowadays. So electronics engineers, uh, they don't um, I mean, they're kind of dying out, yeah, because most of the people, they don't study electronics engineering anymore. They rather go to IT. So the very few electronics engineers out there we have, we have to protect them. We have to listen to them. Yeah, and they're very like a rare, rare source right now. And um, 
it comes naturally that these people are very skeptical when it comes to new technologies because you have to know that electronics engineers they have to uh, I mean, they do have to have a long study, they have to do a long training, and they have to build, as in every profession, a very long work experience to make things work. And um, then a new company comes around and tells them, hey, we can do your work and we can automate your work. We could do it faster and maybe even better. And of course, um, some people might be skeptical at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and could you uh, describe a bit how do you go about establishing trust in communication with such a niche um, and skeptical, as you said, audience? Because, of course, trust is at the core of marketing. If you don't have trust, people will not listen to you, will not even consider uh, engaging with your company. So how do you go about establishing trust? And, um, you know, what are the important things to pay attention to for marketers who deal with um, also technical audiences. Yeah. yeah, first of all, you have to understand that it's not you selling a product to somebody, but it's rather you going to somebody, you going to your customers and trying to understand their problems and really listen to them. And if you understand their problems and really are able to create value for them, yeah, and making sure you understood what is needed, and then you can approach them and then you can also kind of wipe away that skepticism a bit. Yeah. And what really, really helps in marketing is to speak their language and to make sure that you have somebody in the company who is either also an electronics engineer or has a deep technical background to make sure that these people feel understood. Yeah. Because, um, as soon as they have this impression of only talking to like only talking to somebody from marketing or somebody from sales and they don't see that you really want to help them they kind mm -hmm. of block block yourself yeah and that's very natural in my opinion so um it's like listening to the people understanding their problem and speaking their same language helps a lot this is mm -hmm. what we do at sailors Nice. And in terms of, you know, uh, speaking their language, and you've all already mentioned you have to have someone that's a technical person. How do you go uh, about, um, you know, cooperating with subject matter experts um, at Silus? How does it work? You know, especially, you know, you're a growing company. You've gotten, I think, three rounds of investment. So things are uh, moving quickly, how do you uh, convince them to also work with marketing on top of what they already do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For that, you have to understand that marketing is not an isolated department. Um, they have to work very well and very closely with other departments like product or sales or even R&D because it's a joint effort, especially when you're a company um, in our size or, I don't know, even smaller. Every department has to work very, very closely together. And it's not um, one job of one department that counts for sales, that counts for product and also for marketing. So when I really want to know um, a very technical issue or a technical problem and I want to have it solved, I go to our product department, I go to R&D and tell them, hey, this is our use case, this is what we want to showcase and demonstrate to the clients. 
could you help us here? I need that technical specification. I need that technical background. Or for example, in a case study, I want somebody to proofread it because um, I think it's very important for marketing people to understand the technical parts and to also be educated yourself on that. But at mm -hmm. the same time, you need somebody to validate what you what you wrote, what you created as a marketing asset. And um, the best idea for that would be to have somebody from the electronics engineering perspective. Yeah, looking at it and it's like, I'm, I'm, I would approach that person and say, like, hey, would you want to buy my product after you've seen my marketing asset? Yes or no. Be very honest with me. Be very blunt about it. <laughs> um, I need that feedback. And if this person says yes, then I'm good to go. So and this is how I involve people in general. Yeah, and um, for example, at sales, there's um, a new position right now, which is uh, a big, we call it community manager, or actually it's a field application engineer. And this person is our go-to person when it comes to translating also technical topics to the normal world, yeah, if you will. And um, I would say for every company, Basically, no matter what size, this is a very good strategy. So you have one person in place, we call it the evangelist. Yeah. And we tell that person to go and like, bring out the message to the world. Yeah. And this works very well. And the same goes for when you want to look at the outside of the company, when you work with, want to work with subject matters experts there. Um, we do that from different companies, it's either clients or it's partners or any other kind of collaboration, but you need to make sure that it's a win-win situation for both. Yeah, you need to also make sure that this other person, the subject matter expert, has a value for itself, for, for himself as well. And um, when you can create something, again, with value combined, then I think it's the most prosperous collaboration you could do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing, it's a mindset of we have to collaborate in order to make marketing work for our customers. Um, and it's also a specific role that kind of translates the engineering things into the real world or into, you know, more simple terms into, you know, layman's uh, word, so to speak. Yeah, it's both. It's it's translating it to the normal world, yeah, or the outside world. It's <laughs> not normal and unnormal. And it's also communicating the same language. So it's a parallel stream with two communication flows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because you already went into talking about partnerships, which I think are uh, a marketing approach that is not used to the maximum, uh, maybe perhaps in the last couple of years, I've seen more and more companies uh, actually realizing like we're sitting on a gold mine. We need to involve our clients and our partners more and co-create. Um, and because you've went there, I would like to ask you a little bit about how do you go about creating value for your audience and customers through your marketing? Um, so first, what we do is going back to the clients because this is the most important source for us. Yeah, These people can give you the best feedback. They can give you the honest feedback and they can tell you what they want, especially when it comes to new features, for example. So talking to them in the first place is like the most valuable resource you could use. And then 
Yeah, when you have all the feedback, you can generate a marketing content plan. You can generate a list and formulate and create assets out of that. Yeah, because they can tell you exactly what they need. And even if they say, hey, I don't know what I want, um, it's also a hint into a direction. So it tells you that you need to guide them a little bit. Yeah, and this is what we do, and this is how we formulate our marketing assets and how we create value to them. And on top of that, uh, what we do is we build marketing assets which builds on one another. So, for example, uh, we create an ebook, yeah, and then we have different tutorials on top of that. We create a case study, and then we have follow-up case studies, and we can tell people how they can build with our software their new entire electronics engineering department, how they can reevaluate things. Yeah? And um, this takes time, so this is not an effort what you do in um, four weeks or even not in three months. Yeah? Um, usually buying cycles and software industries, they tend to be from nine to 12 months, for example. Yeah, it depends on the value and it depends on how much time it needs to be to be implemented. But um, that gives you time to educate your audience and to prepare them uh, from a marketing perspective. And um, this is the most helpful and valuable way you can do before you hand over to sales. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. So starting always from the customer need and keeping an open line of communication is super important. So you can actually build something that's relevant and answers actual questions. So not just assuming, but rather going to your clients and asking them yeah, what yeah, do you guys need. Yeah. And you can always track your marketing efforts. It's not that we do things blindly and we solely rely on what people say, yeah, what they need, because sometimes they say they need X, but actually they need Z, yeah, because they don't know better. They communicate something different. Um, what I always do is obviously keeping track of the marketing assets. So I do have a data-driven valuable, um, data-driven attribution model in place. Yeah, so mm -hmm. every marketing asset is tracked. I can track down on the email, I can track down on views and opening rates, bounce rates and whatever. So I do see performance there. It's not, um, yeah, that I just like have a best guess. Yeah. And then I can track it down to the leads we have. So I collect the leads and I see, okay, that asset has that much um, importance to that lead and that asset has another importance. And all combined, I can tell how much, um, how much is my marketing asset worth actually, and I can calculate the ROI out of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what would you say is your North Star metric for your overall marketing strategy? Because you mentioned you have model in place, you're looking at data to, to inform what's working, what's not. So what would be the North metric you're looking at? Mm -hmm. uh, so for us, it's customer acquisition costs and leads. So that's the very strong number that we look at. Um, we do build marketing assets around it and we do also build marketing assets solely for branding. So you cannot really evaluate the value out of it, but it mm -hmm. all goes hand in hand and breaks down to how many leads we have after all. Mm -hmm. So you can actually show quantifiable results like, hey, this is working or hey, we're in, in the right, right direction. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, with an attribution model, which is data driven, you can attribute the various assets to the different uh, campaigns and through the different leads. So I can see, um, for example, um, that customer from a software company or from an electronics company has viewed five different assets, like five videos, has uh, read one white paper, has read an ebook, and that is allocated to how much effort I put into it. Yeah, and mm -hmm. also calculate costs yeah, because you. Um, it takes time to generate the marketing assets. It takes time to promote that. Yeah. And it also generates costs, obviously. And you want to see how much uh, value you get out of this. Yeah? And is it really worth it or you should stop the campaign? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because you mentioned the long sales cycle, uh, nine to 12 months, I've even heard clients saying 24 months. So it's a really uh, long term game. Uh, I would want to discuss a little bit about how do you go um, about balancing building for the long run with also connecting that to, uh, you know, a revenue and showing results on a um, on the short term. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, sure. That also goes again hand in hand to with the data driven approach. So everything we do is trackable and that's very important. I have a monthly reporting and I also um, check out the reportings weekly and then I see, okay, that is um, the right direction or it's probably not the right direction. And um, uh, <laughs> There is a misconception when it comes to marketing yeah, and when it comes to building in the long run, because a lot of people say, I, oh, you don't see, you don't see what comes out of it. You don't see the value. You just burn money. Uh, marketing <laughs> is usually the department uh, where they say, oh yeah, they just spend money and we don't know what they do it for. Um, very few people see it as an investment. And um, <laughs> I want to highlight that this is, Absolutely wrong, yeah, because um, you can build the best product in the world. You can have the best salespeople in the world or the best R&D department, but it doesn't help you at all when no one knows that you exist. So marketing is everywhere. It's everywhere where your brand appears, your website appears, or even the company in another in another way, yeah. So um, everywhere where marketing is around or everywhere where your brand is around, um, it is building for the long run. And it's hard to measure for most of the time, especially when it comes to branding. But what you can do with the leads, yeah, what you can, what you can measure, you can always, you, you should always report on that. So I'm trying to go two ways in parallel. I'm trying to create a brand which is barely measurable and I'm also trying to create the performance marketing part which is absolutely transparent and absolutely measurable. And that's what you can hold against one another and there you can see are you on the right track, yes or no. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense to you? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like definitely, uh, I think you need to 
also have um, a level of um, backup and support from leadership team. And I think that's super important. It's not something maybe you can easily change, but if you have it there in the company, I think it's a great premises to build because then um, the CEO, the leadership team, they all know marketing is super important. We're going to let, you know, put the right people in place, let them do their jobs. And in time, things will add up, of course, you have to show uh, numbers and you mentioned you have an attribution model so you can connect, you know, I've built this webinar, I've created this ebook. Um, here is, you know, how many people saw it, how many people requested the demo maybe coming from that material. But I think it's super important that you have this um, internal support and um, alignment really where people understand that marketing is a long-term game and it's really in everything you do. And if you don't invest, with the mindset of we're going to do this for the long run, we're not going to run, I don't know, an ads campaign now and then stop and try something else in three months. If you don't uh, have this uh, vision that it's uh, an ongoing effort, you're probably going to, I don't know, do a lot of things, but don't, uh, that don't get to add up and you yeah. don't yeah. get to have results. There's a lot to do with expectation setting in the beginning. So mm -hmm. sitting together with the leadership team or sitting together with the C-levels um, and explaining, again, then we have to explain stuff again, yeah, it's an educational effort, um, explaining how marketing strategies work, what's the mechanism behind it, explaining how uh, memory work, the memory of the people, um, help marketeers a lot um, yeah, to get the buy-in from the leadership team. I have an example for you. Um, so usually when, uh, when we make decisions as human beings, um, we always think we're very, very rational yeah, when we come and buy stuff. Uh, we do think that um, in B2C, yeah, but we also think that in B2B, yeah, we think we make very rational decisions. And this is wrong. Usually it's around 70 to 90% of our decisions, which we do subconsciously. Yeah. So that's a lot. It's a lot. And it also accounts for B2B. Yeah. So where we think we have that business mindset and we think we know all the facts and we make our decisions only based on that. And this is the very wrong assumption. So um, what you need to do is you need to explain your C-level yeah, or your management team, how decisions are made, how we make decisions as human beings, and also how memory works. Um, we do have short-term memory and we do have long-term memory. The short-term memory is responsible for our working memory. Yeah? So when we are focusing on something, when we want to get things done, this is where we use that part of our brain. Where we use the long-term memory, yeah, the, this this part of our brain is where we have to learn very different things. It's semantics, it's the explicit memory, but also a very important part is the implicit memory. Yeah, so the implicit part um, of the memory comes, for example, when you hear something, when you learn something, but you don't really pay attention to it. Yeah, so you walk by a house and then you see a brand. Yeah, but you just you just saw it briefly and you forgot it already when you walked by it, but it is still in your memory. Yeah? Mm -hmm. This is what you have to keep in mind when you build a brand. Everywhere, and this is why I said it, uh, everywhere where the brand is seen, yeah, 
on the website or when you are at an event or when you have your uh, professional claim somewhere, people will recognize it and it's part of your marketing effort. And when you understand that, how the memory works and are able to explain that to your leadership team, you have one half of the part. Yeah, then you have to explain how uh, analytics works and how digital marketing works, but that's another story. Just do that initial effort, sit together and do that explanation and tell your strategy and then you have a lot a lot more buy-in and you have an easier time than you would have otherwise. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess it's a... Uh... There's a layer of internal education, so to speak, that you have to do about how marketing works, how people yeah. buy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to understand how sales work or I have to understand the R&D and product team. But at the same time, they have to understand how marketing works, because, like I said, it's not isolated department. It's not isolated efforts. We are long away from that silo thinking and silo work. People have to understand that they work together. This is not only true for data, but also for people. Yeah, absolutely. So disconnect people and you get, I think, <laughs> a little bit of chaos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nicola, I wanted to go back maybe one step and ask you, uh, what would you say are the top two, three marketing initiatives um, that have brought the most impact for you guys at Silus. Could you try and look back? Sure. Um, that's very easy to be honest. So the most, uh, the most uh, useful marketing asset we built so far and we want to build on top of that is our case study. And it's mm -hmm. just a very, very long case study with a famous client. Um, uh, this client uh, is very well known in Germany for heating systems. And the case study is so successful because it's very honest. Yeah, We do show, uh, I think it is around 14 pages or so. It is very expert content. Um, uh, we do have it. We did have it written uh, by one of our marketing um, specialists, but also includes collaboration with electronics engineers, with the product team, with the clients. So it was a joint effort of collaborating together, and um, it very like it shows on a very detailed level what our software is capable of, and it also shows our flaws, and that is something people wouldn't want to show but it um, it shows the limits yeah it just shows the limits okay this is what we can do this is the complexity we can do this is the time we can save you this is the money we can save you but this is also where we have to stop yeah and then maybe develop ourselves further or maybe don't even focus on that further yeah but just provide that part of the story and when you are um, brave enough yeah, and honest enough to communicate it very clearly, people all of a sudden have trust right away because why not? Yeah, You, you said this is what we can deliver and this is our limits. So um, this is our most successful case study so far. Um, what is also very uh, successful um, is our tutorial series and we're also going to build on top of that. So again, it goes back to that educational approach. Yeah? Um, for that, you have to know that the software we built 
is something which hasn't been there before at all. So mm -hmm. it's completely new. There is, as far as I know, no other competitor out in the market uh, who could build exactly the same. Yeah, there are there are companies out there. They can build parts of it, or they uh, yeah look at a different part of the value chain, but they don't have that completely. And for that, you have to explain how it works. Yeah and uh, why we are better than the others or why we can create more value and um, this is what we cover in the tutorial series um, so we take a huge part of the sales work and educating them before we hand over to sales and this helps a lot because then when people have seen these tutorials they only have very very specific question for sales and it's like, okay how are we going to uh, implement this how are we going to do that yeah but this is the work you have to do before they start talking to sales and if you have done that you know that you're on the right track so they go in prepared and knowing actually they can use your product and i love the the fact that you are very honest and open with this is the product this is what we can do because i think no one really believes uh, there's a product that can do everything right of course there are always yeah, limitations sure. and i love the fact that you're uh super transparent about that and i'm i'm sure uh people are super appreciative of that yeah and thank you and you have to consider uh, when you are in the evaluation or buying process of a software like ours um, it, it takes some time, like I said, yeah, the buying cycles are quite long. And usually people, when they uh, check out new software, they don't want to be seen right away. They don't want to be seen by marketing or by sales. Yeah, and they want to don't want to be identified as a lead. Yeah, they want to collect information first. And mm -hmm. sometimes they do that with their private email address, or sometimes they do that with a complete nickname because um, they want to see if that software is valuable for them or not yeah and they want to decide on their own when they contact the company usually and the more information you provide to them the, the clearer you communicate the better it is afterwards for you so you need to make sure that you answer all the questions a prospect could have potentially uh, in the beginning Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Amazing. And I think uh, you you pointed out something very interesting. You also have to feel comfortable with the fact that those, you know, potential clients are not going to want to reveal their identity right away because they don't want to maybe be called in, emailed and so on. So you have to be comfortable um, as a company, you know, we're going to maybe deal with people who don't want to give us their business email address and you know this upfront and you have to be yeah, yeah and this might not even, this might not even uh, because of you yeah because of your company but it could also be that um, this person doesn't want to reveal his or her email address because of internal um, communication in their own company so especially when you look at um, big corporates for example they have mm -hmm. departments uh, for whatever reason, yeah, whatever they want to look at. And um, maybe this person in one department wants to implement your software 
whereas another person in another department wants to have something completely different. Yeah? So in this case, the, the one person would need to collect the information first and then bring it to their manager and say, mm -hmm. this is my list of arguments. I want to do this out of that. This is what I collected. Yeah, so there might be very, very different reasons. We don't know, yeah, but we need to make sure that we provide the information. Mm -hmm. And that you provide value uh, quick enough so they stay and they come back. Quick enough and, they... and easy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, Nicole, I would also like to ask you, be looking at the future, how do you see growth at Silos and what marketing uh, levers are you pulling to get there? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we do have a very interesting initiative coming up. Um, like I said, uh, we want to focus on the customer and we want to do that in the next couple of months and extend it to another level, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And this means involving them even more and creating a community. And this is also the part where we want to see, where we're going to see the most growth in there um, by actively engaging them and asking them to participate. Um, at this point, um, I'm, <laughs> I can't disclose too much, to be honest, because it's not uh, life yet, but this is mm -hmm. the direction we're heading to. So involving the customers, creating a community and also kind of co-creating with them together. Yeah, because this is where we see um, the most growth potential and how it scales. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Okay. Absolutely amazing. And I think it goes hand in hand with being uh, value driven and customer customer driven. Uh, Nicole, I do have one final question. So what would be your top recommendations for other B2B marketers who are working uh, with also technical audiences? How should they approach their marketing strategy so that they win over those audiences and build trust with them? Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, sure. So there is a saying um, and it says it's like seeing, understanding and then taking action. And this is the recommendation I could give to other B2B marketers. It is seeing and evaluating your audience, like who do you want to talk to and why, understanding their needs, their problems, and really try to solve them, yeah, and then take action and then go and in communication with them, talk with them, and like really trying to create a dialogue. And this is where I would base my marketing strategy on there. And this is also how you can turn these skeptic people into fans, probably. Amazing, Nicole. Uh, that was super interesting. I definitely learn new things from you, as I think with every interaction that we have. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Elena. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's always very, very kind and nice. Thank you so much. Thank you. So what are the top three takeaways from the conversation with Nicole? Number one, to win trust, especially when working with technical audiences, you need to know your customers really well and be able to speak their language. And to speak their language, the best thing you can do is to have a dedicated person with a technical background working very closely with your marketing team. That person is an evangelist and he or she works to translate um, technical language into lay language, validates marketing uh, content and assets. Number two, be transparent about everything you do. No one is going to believe that your product 
can do it all. And of course, that's impossible. Um, so be very open about who your product is for, uh, when it's a best fit solution and when it's not. And also be very clear about the limitations and people will appreciate it. And number three, to be able to create value for your customers, you always want to go back to them and ask their feedback, ask about um, what content they need to read, what other informations they need to learn about. So always go back to your customers and build on that.